all you citizens of the world. It's time for another edition of the Live from the Heartland show. I welcome all you friends, your neighbors, your brothers and sisters, neighbors, people everywhere in the world. This is Michael James. I'll be your host this morning. And this is a number 103 during the time of the pandemic when we have been out of the WLUW Biola University Station Studios downtown. We've been doing this at home. Again, this is number 103. We're recording it on Friday, May 27th for the week of May 28th. A little news on the show. We are now on three times a week, uh, both uh, on air and streamed on WLUW.org or 88.7 if you're real local. And of course, it's available at youtube.com slash heartlandmedia on Spotify and Google Podcasts, and we're on Can TV. Today, I'm really happy that we're going to have a couple of uh, friends who are doing really great work. Uh, we're going to bring on Michael Harrington. He is the co-chair of Network 49 here in the 49th Ward, and we're going to talk about um, activity around guns and police. Uh, we're going to then bring on our old friend, Omar Lopez, who has been involved over the years with the Young Lords organization. There's a new version of the Young Lords and there's a passing of the torch and an honoring of the founder, Chacha Jimenez. So we're gonna hear what's up with all of that. And then our own producer, Lynn Orman is gonna come on and give us a little bit of music news. Uh, the big tragedy around the world, certainly in this country, I mean, around the world, there's the war in Ukraine, there's a lot of things, but in the United States, We've had another senseless gun shooting. Um, there have been a lot of them. Some people have been posting long lists of more than one person killed in schools. It, it's, it's unbelievable how, how many have happened. Um, so we're gonna be talking about that. Uh, let me just say that uh, Beto O'Rourke, who was a guest on our show a few months back, he's running for governor of Texas, he challenged Governor Abbott at a press conference yesterday, uh, they walked him out, but he did get to point out a few things. He, he basically said, uh, you want a solution to gun stuff? Stop selling AR-15s in the state of Texas. You want a solution? Have universal background checks. We don't have them. You want a solution? Red flag laws or extreme risk protection orders which stop a shooting before it happens. You want a solution, safe, safe storage laws. These are four solutions that have been brought up by the people of Texas. Each one of them has broad support, but the Texas legislature apparently uh, has thought differently. They passed some really negative laws. Um, and on that front, uh, there is a bill in the house in the United States House of Representatives that has gone to the Senate calling for uh, background checks and 50 Republicans have rejected that. On a positive note, there are some senators from both parties who apparently are meeting and talking about ways that they can deal with the gun crisis that is uh, more evident in our lives every day. Um, let me see. Uh, on a kind of an interesting note, uh, Nancy Pelosi was uh, not given communion by uh, the uh, powers in the Catholic Church, uh, the Archbishop, I would believe, I don't know his name in San Francisco. And she basically, and that was over her support of abortion rights. And she came back and called them hypocritical 
because of their lack of attention to the death penalty and caring of people after they're born. Uh, we like Nancy Pelosi on a lot of fronts, uh, and we like that she stood up to the church on this case. Um, let's see, uh, one other thing on, the, uh, on guns. Um, the owners of Daniel Defense, the manufacturer of the rifle apparently used in the massacre of 21 people at the elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, are deep-pocketed, that means they're really rich, Republican donors giving to candidates and committees at the federal and state level aligned against limits on access to assault rifles and other semi-automatic weapons. Um, on the labor front, uh, construction workers organized by the Laborers International Union of North America are on strike against the Purple Line, not in Chicago, but the public transportation project in Maryland. These workers complained that the contractor for the project backed off a commitment to hire a union and pay the agreed upon wages and benefits. Uh, as many of you who are regular listeners or viewers of the show know, we do report on um, organizing efforts and they continue among Amazon, among Starbucks workers. Uh, it's spreading all around the country. Um, and we'll have more on that on a weekly basis. Um, let's look around the world a little bit and see what's going on. Uh, in Colombia, leftist, a leftist, a former guerrilla fighter uh, is poised to win the presidency. That was reported by the New York Times uh, a couple of days ago. Um, on May 16th, the Biden administration announced new measures uh, toward Cuba, taking an important step toward restoring the policies of engagement and re reversing some Trump era policies. Some of these changes include reinstating the Cuba Family Reunification Program. Uh, it's actually called the Cuba Family Reunification Parole Program, not sure what that means. Uh, lifting a 1,000 quarter cap on family remittances. Uh, you know, many, many Cubans in this country in the United States send money to Cuba and Trump stopped that from happening. Uh, Biden's new uh, thing calls for increasing support for Cuban entrepreneurs and allowing flights to other airports in Cuba besides Havana, as well as reinstatement of people to people travel. Uh, I got to travel to Cuba a couple of times. Uh, it's really quite an exciting and interesting place. Definitely a lot of challenges, but a lot of good goes on there too. Um, and many of you know that uh, we reported that the Israeli uh, Defense Forces had killed Shireen Abu Akleh, uh, a reporter for Al Jazeera. Um, and it's been reported that uh, by the Palestinian Authority, but it's going to other world uh, judicial bodies uh, that the Israeli forces deliberately killed her. She was shot in the back uh, and there were no active Palestinian fighters anywhere in that region. So, you know, over the years, Israel has gotten a lot of support from the US, but Israel has a lot of policies in relation to their neighbors that are very negative and uh, let's hope that we'll see some progress on that front. Here in Chicago, COVID is up, hospitalization is up. Uh, our alderman in the 49th Ward, Maria Head, reported this morning, that would be Friday the 27th, 
that uh, they're starting to recommend that people wear masks indoors and get tested. Uh, and I do think that it's a, it's really important. I mean, you know, we're all lax. I've been around the country a little bit and I've seen people being very lax. It's time to wear your mask, particularly when you go indoors. And you can get masks, you can get tests, you can do it. You could take a, a step to make this happen. It has not gone away. Okay, let's see, do I have anything more? I think that's good enough for our little banter at the start of the show. Uh, you are listening to the Live from the Heartland show. We're brought to you on WLUW, and then it's done, put up on a number of other places. Uh, we have some interesting guests, so stay tuned, and we'll be right back with more Live from the Heartland after we hear a little bit of music that is probably selected by our producer, engineer, Emilio Davis. And good morning to you, Emilio. I'm glad you're here. Be right back. Stay tuned. Right now, you're on the left end of your dial. I don't like the black man For he does not know his place Take the back of my hand Or I'll spray you with my maze I'm as brave as any man can be I find my courage through chemistry Welcome back to Live from the Heartland here on WLUW or wherever you may be getting it. And, uh, you know, we one of the things we like to do here is give voice to the people who are involved in serving the people rather than the rich and the famous. And I'm glad that our friend Michael Harrington, who is the co-chair of Network 49 here in the 49th Ward, is coming on to talk with us now. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Michael. Good to see you, brother. It's good to see you other than at a Network 49 meeting. But uh, we want to talk a little bit about uh, guns and police accountability and what's going on here in Chicago. Um, given the uh, mass shootings in Buffalo, New York, and Uvalde, Texas, the controversy over mass shootings and gun control is ongoing. People in Chicago are, are really concerned about public safety. So how about sharing with us, with our whole audience, how does police accountability relate to that? And what work are you and Network 49 doing around this issue? Take it away. Okay, thank you, Michael, thank you. I think everybody is concerned about public safety and the component of what the police do in that regard is of very serious concern. You know, we have to think about and understand and know the fact, first of all, that in Chicago, 40%, over 40% of our city revenues are devoted to the police department. So that's nearly half of our city budget goes to police who are to serve and protect. That means we, as residents of the city, whether you're a renter, whether you own property, a homeowner, a condo, all of us 
our sales taxes and, and et cetera, have a stake in the policing we pay for. I always encourage people to think about there's one of two reasons that could get you really motivated to care about it. You care about professional policing that is constitutional, that isn't harming people, that is not killing people and ain't killing and hurting people and families. There's a moral reason to care about what kind of policing we have in Chicago. There's a also could be for those who aren't swayed by, they're concerned about getting the criminals. There's a financial reason for some people who care about it too. The city of Chicago spends millions of dollars every month paying settlements for people who are unjustly harmed by policing in Chicago. The cost of policing relates to the issue of what could that money be spent on to create better public safety. It's all about making sure that we create safe communities with better housing, with income and jobs that afford people a, a decent living, with recreational and educational activities for youth and adults. All of that, that you know, multi-billion dollars we spend every year in policing really could help create a more better and more safe community, improve public safety by dealing with the fundamental factors of crime. Network 49 has been paying attention to this issue for a while and I represent our com public community safety committee is focused on several different activities regarding improving public safety in relation to improving police professionalism. Uh, one of the things I think is real important for all of us to know about this coming up, it's a new thing that's happening in Chicago and on the ballot next February, this February, the city elections, we're going to have the opportunity to elect a local police district oversight council for our all across the city. Every community is covered by a local police district and the local district council here at Rogers Park with the 24th police district we have the opportunity to elect three people to serve on the local council, working with improving communications between police and community and community residents, telling police what we expect from local police and public safety work in this community. These members elected to this new district council will contribute and advise a new citywide commission that is tackling the issue of policing, professionalism, and policy and improvement. Um, that citywide commission also is going to be involved in evaluating the work of the police superintendent, COPA, which is the investigating agency, and the police board, which reviews charges against officers and determines whether they need to be fired or disciplined. This is a new structure in the city of Chicago and the nation, which really has citizens involved in forcing the agenda, forcing the issue of police accountability. So people will be running for election to serve at our local district council starting this fall. It'll be candidates running just as we have candidates running for aldermen, candidates running for mayor. All of these people will be on the ballot in, the Feb in February. And so right now, Network 49 is doing work to inform our community about this new process and even interest people in knowing, number one, that there will be district council 
police district council candidates on the ballot, but also before that, helping recruit people to be interested in running to be on the local district council. We have mostly good relations with, according to all the information I have, with our local police district. The yes. leadership cares about working with the community and we wanna make sure the community is working with the police and making sure that when there are problems, residents are recognized and respected to stand up and be heard. People that wanna find out more about how to get involved in police oversight work and accountability work can contact us through our website, www.network49.net. I encourage people to go there to learn about the organization. Join, we're a membership-based organization and uh, there are hundreds of people that are members who follow us and interested in the work we do. We've been around for about uh, seven, eight years. Is Mike, let me ask you a little, a little bit about, uh, tell people what the consent decree was all about. Because uh, uh, I think that the, this new, uh, you know, electing uh, this, this new committee on a, on a ward by ward basis, doesn't that come out of, uh, our response to a consent decree that wasn't really followed as well by the police as it was supposed to be? I could oh, be wrong. A, no, there's there's many different moving parts of that, true. Yeah, about four years or five years when Laquan McDonald was killed in Chicago, um, the federal government, Justice Department, went to court and got a federal judge to take over oversight of the Chicago Police Department it's called a consent decree, and there are hundreds of recommendations that the federal court has urged the police department to adopt, to improve its communications, to improve its professionalism, to stop what was considered deemed to be racially motivated, racist policing practices and policies in the Chicago Police Department. Network 49 is a member of the coalition that helped bring that federal lawsuit to fore. Um, we're spending time monitoring on a regular basis what the Chicago police is doing. We've even got a team going to the police academy to examine what kind of training is or is not being done to make sure that police officers are toeing the line on the community respect and relationships and constitutional policing. Um, the new district councils actually were created by the Chicago City Council. However, it certainly relates to the, the, the need and it understands the need for better police accountability. The district council process and the citywide commission were created last June, July. It's called the Empowering Communities for Public Safety Ordinance. And we're involved in monitoring that. And again, as I said, supporting the new citywide commission that's gonna be appointed uh, hopefully by the mayor this month and then supporting the election of local residents to serve on district councils around the city. Uh, well, Mike, you know, after Laquan McDonald, uh, there have been more incidences of the police shooting people. And I just wonder how far do you think we've come? I mean, since the uh, Laquan McDonald shooting, uh, there's been a lot of activity as you're reporting on and some steps going forward. Uh, what hasn't been done that ought to be done? Uh, where are we mm -hmm. at on all of this? Well, we haven't gone far enough. Obviously, Chicago Police Department, for number one, is has not gone far enough. The federal court monitor has already criticized seriously the police department on its failures 
in listening to and following up on what residents of this city want. The police department just, for, instance, for example, still fails in issues of use of force. Last week, a 13-year-old kid was shot by, in the back by police. There was, he was a passenger in a stolen car. The police stopped the stolen car. This kid got out of the passenger seat and started running. For some reasons, cops pulled their guns and chased him as he was running and shot him in the back. Now, there is no punishment on the books for stealing a car that calls for imminent death. This kid's down to critical condition in a hospital. The police department is over a year late in improving their foot pursuit policies, which the mayor said was going to be improved over a year ago, and they weren't. There's many areas in police professionalism that aren't happening. And it takes all of us, our voices, to demand more and better um, in, in what kind of work the police do in serving and protecting. Uh, you know, this is just some serious stuff. Yeah. Um, you did talk about a good relationship with uh, the, uh, the police in the, our ward. We're in the 20th district, I believe. It's the 24th police district. 24th, and I should have known that. Um, right. And we've had pretty good relations with uh, officers in our in our district. Uh, but my understanding is along the way, while we've been working on some of these improvements, you and some other people, say from Network 49, have gone to citywide meetings and participated. Uh, mm -hmm. And it hasn't always gone as probably as smoothly and right. in the right direction as we would like. Do you want to- The, ins the, institution, the institution is decades old of policing where might makes right. And that's, that's part of the problem we have in America. Um, might makes right, rather than looking at, at, at data and facts and constitutional rights and just humaneness. The police department is a long way to go to improving the culture where you get a badge and a gun and think you have the right to do anything else. We still need serious work on police discipline, police training, police recruitment, and also support for officers. Most of those officers are there to do the right thing. They need support, they need help, they need encouragement. They need monitoring also, they need supervision. And the, the need for citizens to be involved in that we pay for it. Remember, we pay 40% of city revenues. All of our taxes contribute to it. In fact, the police department are our employees, and we have a right to be involved in making the decisions that serve our communities best. And that's what we're doing, Network 49. Uh, Michael Harrington, you know, uh, we, a lot of people have already seen Beto O'Rourke challenging Abbott on lack of action in Texas. And Beto, who was not so long ago a guest on our show, he's running for governor of Texas. He proposed uh, support for background checks, no sale of assault rifles, et cetera. Uh, what is your view on what needs to happen nationally as well as locally to, to prevent the kind of gun violence that we see, not only on a smaller level, like one or two people, but on these mass shootings? Do you have any kind of an overview on uh, what yeah. to call for? 
Yeah, whether it's, you know, the, the, the solutions, the immediate solutions people have been calling for, banning military-style assault weapons, closing gun sale loopholes. Illinois is surrounded by states with much more uh, liberal gun ownership and purchasing ability than we have. We, Illinois has strong laws against it, but we're surrounded by everybody else that, where you can buy guns. The issue I think voters need to remember is, you know, it's not the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms. I think there's been such, so much of propaganda about that for decades that it's an issue about your personal rights. No, the legislators in Congress and in our state legislators have frankly been bought off. They've been paid by the NRA, by the gun manufacturing industry, and people who support that. The campaign donations that go to these legislators that have been basically bribed them not to take action. I think we need to pay attention to where the money is in, in the opposition to getting legislation. Now, the polls say most residents of America want stricter controls. However, yeah. our legislators are the ones we're expecting to write laws to bring those controls and they're not doing it. We need to hold them accountable for the donate campaign donations and political donations they get that persuade them not to take action. We need to pay attention to the money. You made you made mention of the National Rifle Association, and I uh, I had wanted to mention in the opening remarks that uh, the NRA is having their convention right now, right I now. believe in Dallas. And uh, while Governor Abbott was supposed to speak, he is now going to do it through uh, the video. But Trump is supposed to show up. Cruz is supposed to show up. And you know who else was supposed to show up? Don McLean, the American Pie guy. And he pulled out, and that's to his credit. But my question would be, why was he going to be there in the first place? Right. Um, They're pulling out the, the entertainers and politicians because there was a horrific mass shooting in Texas this week. They're shamed. They're embarrassed. They don't want to be associated. But basically, every time they support the NRA, Every time they, 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 they remain silent on the need for gun control, they're enabling more mass shootings. They're enabling the distribution of guns in Chicago and other state cities around the nation where, where people have easy, ready access to weapons that do not belong in human hands. Michael, let me ask you one more thing uh, on a broader sense. Uh, talk about the importance of voting, uh, the midterm coming up. Uh, and uh, just, you know, being a good citizen and getting out there and putting out a vote? Well, you know, I, I, I guess my work all of my life has been involved in, in helping people get involved in decision-making that affects their lives. And certain, certainly the electoral process still is very important in America. If we're going to strengthen our democracy, make it work for us, we more of us have to show up and vote. Vote in elected officials who represent us and vote out those who don't and be clear about that. We do have our Illinois primary coming up in June next month. I encourage people to pay attention to that, get involved with Network 49's politics committee is already, and we have on our website, we've endorsed a number of candidates that we believe are going to support our needs that'll be on the ballot in June. We're gonna be involved in the city municipal election next February, supporting police district council candidates, our own wonderful alderman, Maria Haddon, and 
looking at and evaluating candidates for mayor. One of the ideas I have coming up for the summer and fall is that we could have a forum. You know, last time, the last mayoral election, there were 21 people running for mayor. <laughs> we should have a forum every two weeks by Zoom where we just not making endorsements, but interviewing these people who are gonna be running for mayor in the city of Chicago. That's very important. Um, I encourage us to stay active and get involved in that. Well, Michael Harrington, I wanna thank you for coming on live from the heartland. You've been on this show a few times in your life. Uh, you always inspire us and I'm, uh, I'm really honored to be on a steering committee for Network 49 along with you. And can you tell people how they might contact Network 49? Well, again, they can reach us through our website at www.network49.net. I encourage and would welcome, as co-chairperson of the organization, I'd welcome people to email me too, michaelharrington123 at gmail.com. Uh, we're a member-involved organization. Everybody is welcome to join, young and old. We have a range of diverse people who care about what's happening in our community and are very involved. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate your involvement. Well, I'm glad to be there. And I want to uh, let's give a little shout out to Katie Hogan, who is your co-chair of Network 49. And sometimes she comes on the show. Uh, <laughs> and while I'm traveling in a few in a number of weeks, Katie will be back for all you people who are missing her. Okay. okay, brother. Thank you so much. I'll see you in the neighborhood. Keep doing all the good work you do. You do a lot of good in the world. Peace, brother. All right. You are listening to the Live from the Heartland show. We originated WLUW uh, here in Chicago, Loyola University's wonderful station. Uh, we're brought to you many different ways. We're going to take a musical break. It's going to be picked, I believe, by Emilio Davis. Uh, and we'll be right back with uh, Omar Lopez of the Young Lords Organization filling us in on um, uh, an event for Chacha Jimenez and the passing of the torch to the new Young Lords. Be right back. Stay tuned here on the left end of your dial. Montaña, montaña mía, montaña mía tan altiva y tan tallada. Uh, welcome back. Uh, this is the Live from the Heartland show for the week of May 28th. And I'm Michael James. I'm your host. And uh, 
I'm really honored now to bring on an old friend of mine. Uh, I've known him for a long time. Back in the old days when uh, Joint Community Union was around and there was a group called the Latin American Defense Organization, I met the Lopez brothers, Obed and Omar. And Omar went on to be very much involved with the Young Lords Organization. Uh, he's done a lot of work with a group called Calor around AIDS in the Latin community. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit today about the Young Lords and the new Young Lords and an event that's coming up. So good morning to you, comrade brother. Good morning, brother Mike. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. Uh, is that, are you in your office there? I am. I am. Uh -huh. I, I know. I, I'm still working. I'm just like you. I can't, I can't, I can't stop doing things. <laughs> it's hard to stop. Yeah, well, we got a lot to do. I'm even older than you, and you got, so you got a lot more to do than me, because <laughs> you'll be around. Okay, well, back in the day, we had uh, what we called the Rainbow Coalition. And, um, you know, we've always considered the Rainbow Coalition to be uh, founded by the Black Panther Party, including the Young Lords, the Young Patriots, and Rising Up Angry. In fact, Bobby Seale just tweeted the other day, and someone sent this to me. He says the Rainbow Coalition was a coalition active founded in Chicago, Illinois, by Fred Hampton and Bobby Russ of the original Black Panther Party, included the Young Lords, the Young Patriots, and Rising Up Angry, as well as the Panthers. So that was good to hear because there is a, a good movie out called The Original Rainbow Coalition, and it doesn't really include Angry as much as it might, although we are part of the film. Um, it's worth watching, and I recommend it. And I recommend that people really find out more about the Rainbow Coalition because it was uh, one of a number of attempts in Chicago to bring people from Black, Latino, White, uh, Asian, uh, even Native American communities together. And that work still continues. So how about we start off with you telling us about the Young Lords, how you got involved, what they did. You got it. Yeah. Um, since you told me we have 20 minutes, <laughs> I'll, I'll try to hurry up. Well, basically, basically, the Young Lords organization started as a gang in the Lincoln Park area. Uh, and it was a, a group of uh, young people that were belonged to families that were displaced from um, primarily from the area where now we have uh, the Carl Sandburg village, you know, Chicago uh, and Clark all the way down to North Avenue. So those families moved into Lincoln Park and, you know, those were the young, young people that we're trying to find uh, places and safe places for them to, to, to live and play. And uh, this is how the Young Lords became uh, uh, an organization, youth organization at the time, you know, called gangs. Um, but, you know, some of the leadership was uh, kept going in and out of jail, correctional, uh, juvenile correction. Uh, one of them was Chacha Jimenez, who was uh, one of the founders and, and, and was the leader of the, of the Young Lords. Uh, well, he was in jail, you know, he read a couple of books that sort of like opened up his eyes to some of the things that were going on in the neighborhood. Um, and when he came out, uh, the last time he was doing time, he was already an adult. Um, he decided that he wanted to turn the, the young lords around and, and have the organization or the, or the gang uh, be involved in community activities that were that would be uplifting, you know, to, to the families that lived in, in, in that area. Um, he had a hard time, you know, uh, convincing the other members, but finally he was able to do convince the majority. And uh, the, the Young Lords became a community-based 
political organization. Um, we got involved in a lot of things, uh, demonstrations. Uh, uh, one of the things that Chacha found out and realized in, through work with other community groups uh, was that urban renewal was being promoted in Lincoln Park at the time by in some institutions, uh, such as DePaul University, uh, McCormick Theological Seminary, uh, Augusta, Augustana Hospital, you know, Children's Memorial. So what we did was we started to, to go after institutions in the community. And that was one of the first uh, uh, takeovers uh, of, a, of buildings in McCormick Theological Seminary. Now it's DePaul University at Halston and Fullerton. But that was a takeover and we had, uh, and we did because they were the, one of the biggest slumlords in Lincoln Park. Uh, nobody knew that the McCormick Theological Seminary had so many buildings that were really bad shape and those were where the families uh, were living. So we went after them, we took over and we had a series of demands. Uh, of course, out of all of those demands, I think one that uh, became very uh, uh, well known even up, to, up until today is the People's Law Office. Uh, McCormick Theological Seminary uh, did give the, the coalition of, the, it was a poor people's coalition that took over well, with, it, uh, with the leadership of the young lawyers, uh, gave the seed money to open up a uh, legal, legal assistance office. Um, we had a, a whole group of young lawyers, you know, they, they were really good, uh, Jeffrey Haas, uh, Skip Andrews, uh, uh, Cunningham, uh, Flint Taylor. And Dennis so, Cunningham, who just passed away. I know, you know, I was, no, they're I was still sad, doing great work. Flint's still all over the John Birch torture cases. And they, these guys, and Michael right. Deutsch, they still are there. I'm glad you brought them up. Yes. You know, they, from the beginning, we're talking about what, 50 years ago, you know, but they it's were, they time. were, yeah, they, they were the ones that took our cases. They took our cases. Me uh, too. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, and I think one of the big ones was uh, the Fred Hampton uh, assassination case. That they they the ones that 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 took that. So, but out of the 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 uh, the takeover, you know, that came out. Um, you know, we got seed money also to develop a whole housing project that was going to be like from North Avenue all the way to Armitage. Uh, also, that was uh, an area that was primarily Puerto Rican, uh, but of course, uh, City Hall. Uh, knock that down. You know, we didn't get, we, even though we had a very good concept, you know, renderings and everything. Um, so, you know, that's, that was some of the, the, uh, the issues that we were involved at the, at the community level, also with police brutality. Um, in the process, we got in, we, you know, we came in contact with the Black Panther Party. And uh, the relationship between Fred Hampton and Chacha, you know, grew and it was a very tight uh, relationship. Uh, a lot of things happened, you know, with a lot of collaboration with the Panthers. Uh, sometimes, they, you know, the, the Panthers and the Lords would act as security for marches of the Latin American Defense Organization. You know, when they, we had the welfare mothers uh, marching against the welfare department. Uh, so there was a lot of collaboration. Um, also, as part of that, you know, the, the, the Panthers reached, uh, did some outreach to Uptown. That's where, where, that's where you guys were. Um, and, uh, and that's where John, that's where Join was, was. Yeah, Join uh, had been there, and then the Patriots came out of Join, and uh, I went off, and I was in Logan Square. Actually, we started rising up angry. Those were some wonderful times, meeting all these people and getting getting involved. 
Yeah, yeah. Everybody, everybody was into it. It was a beautiful, it was beautiful times. Uh, but then out of, out of that came the the Rainbow Coalition, the Rainbow Coalition. Um, but even even during that time, you know, we mirror uh, the structure of the Black Panthers. So uh, they had uh, programs in the community that that we also replicated in in our community, like the Breakfast for Children, uh, the Free Health Clinic, um, you know, the daycare center. So we had all those programs and it was really mirroring what the Black Panthers were doing as survival programs. Um, you know, of course, you know, the, with time and, and people that will see the, the original Rainbow Coalition movie, we'll see that, you know, the, the, uh, the FBI and, uh, and others were very busy at dismantling our organizations. The Red Squad. And the Red Squad, the famous Red Squad, you know, they, they were all over us. Um, so, you know, they, they were successful in the sense uh, of uh, dismantling the, the organization. Um, I think, fortunately, uh, a lot of us who were in leadership positions uh, in the different organizations in the Rainbow Coalition, we kept going. You know, we changed our tactics. You know, we changed our approach uh, because we needed to just to survive. You know, we couldn't continue with the same kind of, of, of approach and tactics that we had in the late 60s, but we continued. And I think that I always uh, point out to the fact that uh, of the, uh, the ministers that we had in our structure, you know, the, some of the minister of, of health, uh, uh, Roberto Chavira, went on to become a, a medical doctor. And he moved to New Mexico where he put up a, a free health clinic. He never became rich like other doctors. Never, but he gave a lot of services to people that needed in, in the area where he, uh, where he was uh, living. The other one is uh, uh, Tony Baez. He was the Minister of Education. He went to Milwaukee, opened up the, the Milwaukee chapter of the Young Lords. He got a bachelor's degree in education. He got a master's degree in bilingual education. He got a PhD in education. And now he's an authority on bilingual education, dual language uh, uh, approaches, and he's called, you know, to speak uh, not just uh, nationally here, you know, abroad. So, you know, he was our minister of education. Um, one of the people that were in the ministry of defense, Sal uh, del Rivero, you know, he was he he became one of the best uh, labor organizers uh, for local 150, you know, heavy equipment operators. And uh, so, and myself, you know, I, I went I went back to school also. Uh, I became a teacher. And uh, for 10 years, I was a teacher. Then I went on to, to other things. So I ended up now as a executive director of Calor, which is the organization that provides services to, to people, you know, primarily Latino and African-Americans who are at risk or are impacted by HIV. Um, Omar, you, uh, you mentioned uh, how you followed the Black Panthers uh, and were inspired by them. And that was certainly true for all of us, you know, in the Rainbow Coalition, Rising Up Angry, the Young Patriots, uh, you know, back in the early days, the Panthers were real militant and they, you know, a lot of gun action. And I remember in the early Rising Up Angries had a gun in a fist on the cover. And then the Panthers moved to the Serve the People programs. Mm -hmm. And the most, uh, you know, well-known of those were all the health clinics. The Panthers had one, the Young Lords had one, the Patriots had one. Rising Up Angry had Fritzy Engelstein, Free People's Health Center. That's right. Over That's there right. at Wilton and Diversity, the mural still on the wall at the Church of the Holy Covenant. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, there were, you know, the Panthers were really important and the serve the people programs were, were, you know, really, uh, you know, there's, you know, you know, feeding, you know, for lunches, breakfast for children, that became a national program for the government, but it was right. started by the Black Panther Party. That's right. You know, one one thing that I, I'd like you to touch on is the Young Lords also uh, evolved and had a chapter in New York and the relations were good, not so good sometimes. Uh, those people also did a lot of good work. Do you want to share a little bit on that? Yeah. Um, you know, the once the, the, the Young Lords were established here and then people began to hear about us, uh, a group of young people from New York uh, approached uh, Chacha to see if they could uh, organize a chapter of the Young Lords in, in New York. Uh, one of them uh, was a student that was from Chicago. His name is David uh, Perez. Um, and he's the one that sort of like initiated the, the move in New York to, to get the Young Lords going over there. And then they came to Chicago. They met with, with the Central Committee here with Chacha and they were given the go ahead um, so they, they, uh, they were also pretty effective, you know, they, then they also mirror what the, the structure that we had and the structure that the Panthers had. Um, um, the difference between the New York Lords and the Chicago Lords, I think it was, uh, in the fact that, uh, most of the leadership of the, of, of the young Lords in, in New York were college students. Right. Uh, the leadership of the young lords in Chicago were street. You know, they were street, they were they were the lumpen here. Lumpen proletarian. Yes, yeah. So so that was a big difference. That was a big, the other big difference in terms of the environment is that at the time of the young lords in New York, uh, John Lindsay was the mayor over there. John Lindsay was a pretty liberal mayor. Yeah. So so that they they I I feel that they were able to maneuver a lot more. Uh, in New York without the resistance of, of the, the power structure. Uh, and so they were able to, to flourish. You know, yeah, we had Daly the and the Red Squad. <laughs> we had Daly here. You know, for example, in New York, you know, they took over a TV uh, testing truck. You know, and, you know, they, they did real good in testing people for TV. If we had done that here in Chicago, you know, we, I wouldn't be here talking to you about it because Daly would have made sure that that wouldn't happen. So yeah. we had a we had a big uh, a big obstacle in in the in the daily the daily structure. Uh, so that was a big difference. Um, the New York uh, Lords also then kept developing uh, ideologically, and uh, they went beyond you know what the young lords uh, the, the young lord the scope of the young lords, and then they went to Puerto Rico. Uh, to organize, to organize, it didn't go very well in Puerto Rico. They came back, but then they became, I think it was called the the Puerto Rican Revolutionary Party, something like that. So they gave up the, the name of the Young Lords and they became something else. You know, and like I said, they were they were evolving, and yeah. that's what happened. So one of the reasons that I wanted you to come on today is because uh, Cha Cha is uh, his health is uh, not the best but he is going to be honored at an event that's going to happen in a park somewhere, I believe on June 4th. And that is going to be put on by the new young Lords. And there's right. going to be a passing of the torch. Correct. Tell us about the new young Lords, the passing of the torch and the event honoring Cha-Cha. 
Yes, you know, well, one of the things that we have we have noticed is that there's a, a growing interest in finding out about the young lords everywhere. Okay? Even at the at the grammar school level, I yesterday I spoke to a, a, a group of students, uh, one of the class sixth and seventh graders uh, at Prescott School. Uh, they're studying the young lords. They have a the teachers have a <laughs> curriculum on it. You know, they develop a curriculum, so it's really nice. Of course, it, it covers panthers and the lords. Um, but yes, uh, there's an interest in the young lawyers. So there was uh, also a group of young people in New York again, uh, who wanted to organize as the young lords. And they did approach uh, Chacha. Uh, they, they ran the idea uh, by Chacha. He agreed that it was something that, that should happen. And so he gave them the go ahead. Uh, and they called themselves the New Era Young Lords. And now they have chapters in New York, Connecticut, uh, Cleveland, uh, Chicago, and Florida. Uh, and they, they uh, acknowledged the fact that Chacha had a big impact. Uh, and that because he is, you know, he's a very delicate health, that we needed to, to do a tribute to him, you know, acknowledge the impact that he has had in, in the history of the Puerto Rican community and, in, and then the, the Latino community in general. Um, so what we're going to have is a tribute to Chacha on June 4th. It's a Saturday, June 4th. Um, the activity is going to go like from five, from 12 to 5. Uh, you know, but it's going to be like in the 60s. Remember, we used to have those big things and we have music people, you know, people who are playing, people would act, people would be the, you know, poets. But the, uh, the ceremony uh, of the tribute to Chacha will be like from, I say, 3.30 to 5. Uh, and, and in that, uh, we're going to have a, a, a series of speakers that we are choosing, you know, very specifically to talk about Chacha and, and the impact that he had. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping that you're going to be one of them. I, 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 I promise I'll be there. <laughs> good. Uh, you know, we'll have a representation from the Black Panthers who will be speaking um, and other, other radicals, you know, from, from, the, from the 60s. So that's going to be uh, June 4th. Uh, at the uh, Little Cobbs baseball field in Humboldt Park, which is right at the intersection of Ketsey and Hirsch. Uh, so I'm inviting everybody to go. Uh, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a worthwhile activity, especially in terms of recognizing uh, the impact that Chacha has had uh, in, in the, the entire movement. Omar Lopez, once again, it's June 4th. It's going to be Humboldt Park at, what's the name of the baseball field? Cubs, the Cubs little little uh, league baseball field uh, okay. at Ketsey and Hirsch. Okay, good. And uh, is there an email address or a website that people might look at? We don't have that, Mike. Okay, we'll leave that alone. <laughs> you, uh, you know, you continue to do great work. Uh, I've been really glad that you come into my class every year and talk to my group of students of, in taking the activists and activism class since. 1960 at DePaul, and we're inviting you back this year. And uh, I will see you on the 4th, Omar. Perfect. Perfect. Thank we'll, you, brother. We'll look, we're looking forward to it, Mike. Keep Thanks up the, the great invitation. work. Thank you. You are listening to the Live from the Heartland show. You may be watching it on uh, youtube.com slash heartlandmedia slash videos. Um, uh, we want to thank all our guests who came on today, both Omar Lopez and uh, Michael Harrington. And we're going to take a short musical break and we're going to be back with Lynn Orman, 
who is a producer of this show, takes care of a lot of the music when we have live musicians on. So enjoy yourself for a minute and come right back with for more live music. I'm a traveling woman. show and it's really fun now to bring on Lynn Orman who is uh I can't believe how much energy this young woman has she uh she probably goes to every venue in the city checks out every band spreads the word promotes it does her own uh show on WNUR a sister station at Northwestern and uh you look great there Lynn in your new hat uh I would like you to give us a, just a couple of highlights of what's going on in the music world around you know, the Chicago music world. Okay, well, I'm all about the roots, you know, right? And that's why I'm wearing a hat. You're a I'm roots co- kind of girl. I'm covering them. Um, anyway, um, yeah, there's so much going on. And I know next, uh, next couple of weeks, we're gonna focus on um, the city and what, the, what D Case is doing. But um, tomorrow night, Michael, if you're available, maybe I'll come and pick you up. Modern Cuban jazz band, Niberto Kiura at the uh, new Epiphany Center. I, I know you love Cuban music and that would be something that you want to see. So that's going to be on Saturday night, the 28th. That's correct. For, people who are, yeah. for our listeners all over the world, if you cannot make it to a concert or if you're out of the country, you can go to their site epiphany e-p-i-p-h-a-n-y shy c-h-i.com and you can log in i think it's a ten dollar fee or something and then the other thing they have that is ending this weekend which is so cool i can't wait for you to come for a um, a tour the evolution of chicago style graffiti is in what they call the catacombs it is you know the old church that is on 201 south ashland where the Black Panthers used to meet. Yeah, and I think it's where we had the memorial for Fred Hampton way back. I think so. And they have six galleries there. It, it's pretty extraordinary. Your show needs to be there. We're going to have them on. Uh, well, yeah, I think next week. Anyway, um, it goes through tomorrow, um, the 20, 28th. And it's a, the graffiti. The biggest influences from Chicago, Trickster, Take Two, Orco, all those guys. It's great. And... My Women of the Blue show is moving there upstairs to the sanctuary, which is where they do blues and jazz and really intimate listening space. It's a church, so you can imagine the sound of the music is extraordinary. And the Women of the Blue show opening will be June 8th. And um, June 12th, 
Mary Lane, who I think we did the intro of uh, Traveling Woman. She is being honored. Um, she's, I can't say yet, but she'll be getting a proclamation at Chicago Blues Fest. And then that evening, June the 12th, Sunday night, Windle in the Rockin' Souls, and we will celebrate the great life of the living legend, Mary Lane. Should I keep going? Uh, one more. Okay. Um, at uh, City Winery, June 16th and 17th, a tribute to Judy Garland's 100th birthday with Rufus Rainwright, Rain, Wainwright, which is going to be pretty extraordinary. Um, oh, one more thing. Uh, Artists of the Wall in Rogers Park is coming up. And that is the 29th anniversary. And the theme is World of Tomorrow. And we know Rogers Park is the world. So I hope um, come visit me at um, on Lynn Orman Weiss on my Facebook page. And you will see a lot of different events that are going on. Lynn, you're the best. I really do appreciate that. And the, your Women of the Blues exhibit is really wonderful. Their photographs. Did you take them all? Or you collected no, it's them? Curated. You put it I have 100 photos of women from photographers all over the world. You can go to womenoftheblues.com and you can see some of the photos. But this year will feature all the women that are going to be at um, Chicago Blues Fest, 22 of them. Okay, thanks. And uh, I'll be talking to you later because I know you've got these guests lined up for the next couple of weeks. Uh, you know, we're going to go out in just a moment. I got a couple of things I want to say. Uh, one announcement is um, last week I mentioned there was shooting a film here in Rogers Park. And I said, uh, I'm always interested in that because it's been a while since I had a part. Two films that I am in, both made by the great Andy Davis, are going to be shown here in Chicago. Uh, the Fugitive will be at the Siskel Center on May 30th, and Stony Island will be at the Music Box on June 13th. So if you haven't seen those movies, you can rent them and stuff, but it'd be fun to see them in a crowd. Uh, we want to give a big shout out to Steve Kerr, the former Bulls player, the coach of the San Francisco Warriors, the uh, son of a man who was killed uh, by guns. He gave a really emotional talk uh, before the game the other night about the killings in Texas. And uh, he's such a guy, such a, a great citizen. We wanna thank him. He's an inspirational citizen. Um, in memoriam, we're just gonna say all the people killed by gun violence. And going out today, I think we'll still go out with uh, Pastor Barrett and the Youth for Christ Choir. Uh, because coming up after the show, if you're listening to it on the radio, uh, is Bob Maravich, the blue-eyed soul child with gospel memories. And it is some great old gospel music. So we encourage you to do good in the world because the world needs all the good that you do. All power to the thank people. You, and thank you to Imani Warren over at Loyola, to Emilio Davis, to Katie Hogan, to Lynn Orman, and to... Um, all the other people who make this show possible. I'm Michael James, and I'll be back next week. Have a great week. Do good in the world. Over and out. <laughs>